Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome back, everyone, to the fourth episode of the Take the Points podcast. I'm your co-host, Tage Seth, joined by Arjun Menon. Have a really fun pack show today where we'll be talking about how tracking data is making a bigger impact in the NFL. And then we'll be joined by some pretty cool guests who will expand on these topics a little more. Arjun, how's everything been going with you? Uh, it's been going pretty well. I'm actually traveling. I'm in the UK right now. So um, I'm glad we were able to squeeze some time in to get this, you know, get our discussions and interviews in. And uh, I'm really excited to be talking about this really niche topic that we have coming up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's cool you're you're in the UK right now for for this project and everything because like really my first introduction to tracking data was seeing it applied in soccer like before it was even like publicly like talked about in the NFL and everything. So it's it's it you know it's good that you know when people say like oh like you know, we don't know if like analytics is going to work in the NFL and different stuff like that. Like it's been working in soccer for so many years now. So, um, you know, it's, it, it, it has like, you know, applications that have been, have been worked on before basically. Um, but yeah, before we jump into our guests, uh, you know, I thought it'd be good if we discuss like kind of what tracking data is, what it can be used for and what the future of it looks like. So, you know, for, for those who don't know, uh, tracking data uses a chip in each player's shoulder pad that's on the field and tracks their location and orientation like every tenth of a second. And this, uh, the the tracking chips are also in you know the the balls that they use, the pylons, the first down sticks, all that type of stuff. So you know it's it gives really cool information about what players are doing basically continuously over an entire play like you know what have what have you kind of seen that tracking data has been used for before and 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 uh what do you think it can it can be used for in the future yeah so my my number one thing that i've seen tracking data be used for is like player evaluation and more specifically free agency and the draft um one of my favorite stories that i've always heard about tracking data is like how the rams found cooper cup using his gps tracking data from eastern washington while he ran a 4.63 in college, you know, his GPS tracking data showed up better than the 4.63 that he ran at the combine. So you're starting to see like the combine doesn't matter as much. And instead teams, the, the sharp teams are relying on GPS tracking data um, to, to effectively measure a player's athleticism. And I think going forward, you know, more teams will start, start to adopt that strategy. I'm not, I'm not saying that the combine is just gonna be a complete waste anymore because I mean, for most coaches and execs, like it's kind of like a networking event where they just go and meet up and go to St. Elmo's in the night. Um, but I do think that tracking data will be the future of how teams use use uh, data to evaluate players in in the draft and in free agency. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, it's it's really interesting that like the the Rams like you know don't even go to the combine anymore, right? Like because they feel like they can get their information either using this the tracking data that. You know, Cooper Cups was at the Senior Bowl, but you know, there's there's more and more college tracking data 
that's going to start to be available these upcoming years. But, you know, the problem with college tracking data right now is there's no chips in players' shoulder pads because, like, it's not standardized across the whole entire league. And with everything happening in college, like, everything's changing so quickly that it probably won't be standardized for, for a while since there isn't really one governing body that actually has control over college football. So StatsBomb put out, you know, something that we've, we both were able to kind of look at the demo of uh, when we were in Boston in, in the spring of using computer vision technology to get college tracking data. And like, I think that could be really important for player evaluation in the draft. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, I think StatsBomb, you know, they're, they're, kind of, they're kind of our competitors now in the space, you know, since both of us kind of represent PFF. Um, but, you know, I, I thought their demo was cool and and the computer vision stuff is always, you know, that's kind of like the next next frontier of analytics. So, you know, it was just tracking data, now it's computer vision. Um, but I think we have to be a little bit practical about it, you know, coach, like showing coaches this computer vision technology where you have a bunch of dots and lines like the the old coaches it's going to be tough for them to comprehend that so you know my my big thing is like how the, the future of whether tracking data like how much tracking data will be used is honestly like how easy it can be for coaches to be able to read it and understand it because you know when you have an analytics team that puts together reports on players um for free agency in the draft the the coaches aren't looking at the date like they aren't looking at the um they aren't looking at the code they aren't looking at like the expect like the big visualizations they're just looking at the, re the report you give them so that's like the ranks some maybe some graphs here and there of like where the players line up in certain metrics that you create so it's all about simplifying things down to the lowest denominator i hate i don't want to you know that's i'm trying not i'm trying not to be as negative on some of the coaches that don't understand analytics but that's just kind of how you have to work especially when you're working with coaches and scouts that may not have that much of a um analytically uh back uh analytically mind analytical mind mm -hmm. yeah no i i definitely i definitely see that because I think tracking data right now is really good for the consumer side. Like you have completion percentage over expected, which the process for that metric is very sound, right? Like you use receiver separation based on how far away the receiver is from the, the nearest defender when they're being thrown at, you know, you use the situation around the quarterback and all that stuff. Um, you know, you have rushing yards over expected, which have been shown like on broadcasts and have been, you know, used on Twitter a lot by next gen stats. And that like, you know, that was like a 2020 big data bowl uh, competition was creating an expected rushing yards. And, you know, I always think it's really funny that the two data scientists from Austria who had never watched a, you know, a game of football in their life ended up winning the competition because they, they treated it like a video game where like the running back, like had to get as much value over what was expected out of them as possible. But, you know, I think, I think like with, with that metric, you know, you have to, in, in a rushing yards over expected model, you have to have something that accounts for whether or not the offensive linemen are winning their blocks. And like the next gen stats model just does it like right at the, the point of handoff. So I think that's something that, you know, that could, that could be adjusted in the future, but it's still, it's still like checks out a lot of the priors, like Nick Chubb and Aaron Jones and Derek Henry are usually on top of that metric. And like, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so it's, it's, it's really good to have tracking data on the consumer side right now for metrics that, that we can use to, to make ourselves smarter as football fans. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you there where like, uh, you know, a lot of the coaches that are currently in the league 
aren't going to be able to digest all this information that's coming from tracking data right now. And it might be harder for teams to use it effectively because of that. Yeah, I, I agree. And honestly, like the best models are probably the ones that combine tracking data and charted data from PFF. Um, and it, I'm sure there, you know, people who work on analytic departments for teams, they're doing that constantly um, after the season's over and, you know, they're building out their draft models and free agency models. And it, it's pretty funny, you know, we, we, we kind of talk to, we have a couple contacts that work in the NFL on, in analytic departments and on various teams. And, you know, when we reach out to, when I've reached out to them sometimes, and I'll just be like, Hey, like, you know, what are you doing? Or like, what do you, do you want to grab a coffee sometime, you know, in the area? And sometimes they'll hit me back with like, uh, yes, sorry, man. Like, sorry, I got to this text just now, you know, I had a really late night um, at the, at the facility. And, you know, you can kind of tell that like, when it comes to draft season or free agency season because of how large tracking data is you know you have to like these models take a long time to run and to update them you know it takes another long time to run so you're always working long hours but the actual and maybe you can speak on this better like the actual work you're doing maybe you're not working the entire nine to nine or nine to ten hours that you know the the data scientists always say they work mm -hmm. no that's that's true and i yeah i think a lot of it is you know like what you mentioned where when you're when you're using these advanced type of models to build out like uh, metrics for for evaluating players or, or different stuff like that, yeah, it, it does take it does take a very long time to run. And like that's the that's the important thing I think about tracking data is you know not everyone can can use this information like even if it was publicly available because it, it's a lot of information for your computer to run at the same time. Like when I competed in the big data bowl in, in 2020, and I had, you know, the Mac, my MacBook air that, you know, I never thought I'd be doing this type of stuff with that, you know, it was from like 2017. Uh, my R session was aborting, like, like basically every time I tried to open up one of the tracking day, data files and like, and like run it. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's something that, that you have to have like a powerful computer to use or powerful tools to use. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, in the, in the big data bowl, a lot of people have done like the data cleaning and the data viz in R and then done like a lot of the modeling in Python, because you can open up a Jupyter notebook that's hosted like on the cloud and won't like, uh, affect your computer or like, or, you know, or make it run really slow or have the R session abort, like I mentioned. So yeah, it's, it's different stuff like that, that makes the access to, to building models on tracking data a little bit more difficult than than just charting data yeah and i'm sure people who work for teams have like state-of-the-art equipment mm -hmm. you know in their in the facility in the team facilities where unless they're working remote which i don't think is a is a big thing for team people who work on nfl teams um yeah they're they're probably always always have like top of the line pcs where thing just you know you, you don't have to worry about the r session session of boarding all that often mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So I, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. So, you know, there's, there's, there's chips in the ball and there's chips on the, the, the first down markers and, and all that type of stuff. If it were up to you, would you switch it where, you know, they're, they're just using those, those two chips and how they, they match up to mark first downs in, in the NFL instead of, you know, the kind of like the archaic way of bringing out like the, the sticks and the chains and, and measuring, you know, and trying to get that, that measurement right and, and all that type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I would obviously prefer like the the chips in the ball and the chips in the first sound marker. It's I think it's like similar to baseball where it's like we have the stat cast technology or whatever they call it, 
and like you can tell if it's a ball or a strike but like ultimately comes down to like what the umpire calls and like with with the ball in the in the first down mark i do think there is some possibility of error because like at the end of the day like if it's just going to make everything so much slower because you're gonna have to rely on the referee you know talking to the person in the game booth who's saying this is where you need to place the ball and you know it's it's just a it'll be too much communication for um for the game and i think you know obviously we want the most precise measurements as possible but that's just gonna i think that's just gonna slow the game down and make everything tougher to to finish the game and you know a lot of players will probably not like it as much they don't they already don't like like first down markings and stuff but um i do think at the end of the day uh using the chip in in the ball and in the first down marker is probably the way to go it's just figuring out how to do it efficiently and effectively mm -hmm. yeah you know i think I think since they have the technology in place, like they can, they can definitely do something like that. But, you know, something I thought that was interesting about that is, you know, our, our friend, um, Sam Schwartzstein, you know, who, who kind of created the, the XFL rules when, when the XFL was a thing in 2020 pre COVID was, he said it would have been so expensive to put in like all those chips and everything, like when they are creating the XFL. So what his solution was for first down markers was, if you got a, a first down or, or whatever, every new set of downs, they would spot the ball at the nearest yard line, like exa the exact yard line, like move it up or back, depending on that. And then, you know, that, that way it made it a lot easier where you didn't have to bring out the chains. Then you could just, once they crossed the 10 yards that they needed, like that exact yard line, you could give them the first down right there. So like that's, that's another solution. I think that the, the NFL could think about because right now I, I don't like bringing out the chains and like having them place it like exactly like where they, they think it should be placed. Mm -hmm. Like when they, when they run out onto the field, there's so much margin for error there. So I, I definitely think, you know, with the new technology, there could be change there for sure. Um, so yeah, that was that was a lot of fun to uh, to talk about tracking data and, and kind of the the applications that can have. Um, we're we're going to jump into our guests to expand more on these topics. Uh, so stay tuned for that. We're now super pumped to be joined by football operations data scientist manager at the NFL, Tom Bliss, fresh off his July fourth birthday. Tom, how was your birthday and how's everything going? My birthday was excellent. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm really pumped to be on this podcast. Um, I love that you guys open up with a, a Chief Keef song for, for each <laughs> opening, which, which which is great. So yeah, th thanks for having me. I'm 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 feeling great. I'm enjoying this this uh, the light week in the NFL. Yeah, you know, Tom. We one of the things we like to do on the podcast is like kind of introduce like how we got introduced to our guests or our favorite thing about them you know last year when i really started getting involved in analytics you know you were one of the first like accounts i started following and and all of the graphs you make are absolutely wonderful and especially the tutorials you make for the big data well like that was like super helpful for me especially since i've never worked with with uh tracking data before so i, I was just curious like what was your journey to getting interested in data specifically like football data which led to you getting a job at the nfl yeah, no, that's a great question. So honestly, my my entire life, I've always been like a really, really big math person. Math, physics have always been my favorite subjects. Uh, but also, I, I was always a, a really big football fan. Um, I grew up in, in Oakland, California. My family had season tickets to the, the then Oakland Raiders up until um, they moved to Las Vegas in 2020. Um, so I, I was always a huge football fan, um, sort of what I would, that's what I sort of followed the most outside of school. 
um, where within school, math was always my passion. So I, I went to University of Wisconsin-Madison where I, I double majored in physics and astronomy um, with, with minors in computer science and mathematics. Um, after graduating, I, I kind of wanted to do something, like a lot of physics uh, like work is, is, is mostly in quantum research and that wasn't quite what my interest was. So I wanted to do something that utilized my math skills, but, but not quite just doing physics research. Uh, so I, I went for a graduate degree in, in data science I'm at Columbia, um, and, and literally I, part of the reason I want to do data science was if I had any opportunity to get involved in sports, and especially football, being football my favorite, like NFL being NFL over college uh, for, for me, uh, I, I was going to jump on that. Um, but uh, so I, I sort of did that degree knowing, you know, it, I, I could possibly end up in a sports role. Um, but if not, still very, still a very good degree in order to, to, to progress in my career. Uh, so I literally just applied to an NFL league office internship online. I didn't know anybody. I, I just submitted an online application um, and I went through the application and interview process and, and was fortunate enough to get an opportunity at the NFL league office working with Mike Lopez um, and, and his team. So I did that summer of 2019. Um, and I think I uh, showed my skills and I, I proved myself enough. Uh, and I had the opportunity to come back February of 2020. Um, I had one month pre-COVID that everything happened. Um, then I was working remote and it, it's kind of been a little bit crazy for, for that. But now um, we're, we're mostly coming back every day. Uh, so, yeah, it, it I feel like a lot of I learned a lot in school. Um, I learned a lot under Mike and, and at the NFL League office. And that sort of is how I got to where I am today. Yeah, we're very fortunate you're you're a part of the League office because, you know, I think following you on Twitter is, is one of my favorite, you know, follows. And you put out a lot of great stuff on there, you know, especially like the, the 2022 strength of schedule graphic that you put out that combined like the rest that teams have uh travel opponent strength and like all that stuff and you kind of like tied it all together it, like really gave a good understanding of like where teams had advantages and disadvantages this season so like I was wondering like does your day-to-day -day look like a lot of uh, like a lot of that stuff where you're putting together different like graphics or metrics like that or is it more like behind the scenes stuff that like a lot of us don't see yeah, no, a, a lot of that stuff is um, what my day-to-day -day sort of revolves around. A lot of, so at the league office, there are a lot of different sort of groups that we might answer questions for. It might be um, the, the coaching pipeline group. It might be the broadcast group. It might be the, the ratings group. It might be the health and safety group. Um, and, def, and, and a lot of what it will do is, is figure out the best way to sort of visualize and answer a question. And a lot of the people, and this is true, definitely on teams, like a lot of people who you're, you're answering the question to are, are, are non-data people. So figuring out the best way to visualize is really, really key. And figuring out the best way to explain the results is, is really key to, to the stakeholders. So yeah, but that, that, for example, that graphic is, is something that is something I, I might put together perhaps for like a, like a broadcast team or ratings team or, or something like that. Um, but similar similar efforts are, are done across sort of all the the officiating um, replay sort of everything that that the league wants to do to optimize competitiveness, optimize quality of play, and optimize officiating, pace of play, and, and health of and health and safety. Yeah, I'm with Tage. Like that that graphic, I have it bookmarked for for future use. And anytime I <laughs> you know I need to talk about advantages and things like that, I'm always referencing that that graphic you made. 
Um, you know, Thank there's you. been a lot of cool public work done in the football analytics space by way of packages like NFL Fast Star, thanks to people like Ben Baldwin, Sebastian Carl, Tan Ho, Syme, you know, I could go on and on. Um, and, you know, that's kind of how me and Tage got started at, at PFF, like just doing Fast Star stuff. And then we eventually progressed to bigger things. So, so prior to the working for the NFL, did you ever do work with NFL Fast Star and like how much do you use it in your day to day work? Yeah, so to answer the, the, the second, uh, the first part, I don't think NFL Faster was was a thing when I, uh, but before I worked at the NFL, there was something before it called NFL Scraper, yeah. which, which I did use, um, but, and, and that is super helpful in the sense that I think prior to, to that, a lot of the, the data you'd either have to like download from some weird site or you'd have to pay for, so um, that that was really nice. I went when I learned about that just to, to easily sort of get all the data um, as well as they they obviously had win probability models and expected points models that were also helpful. But yeah, NFL faster definitely has all that stuff and then added added some other things too. Um, in terms of using it in my day to day, I would say um, that there are times when, for example, like we're using win probability as some sort of argument for, let's say, like some officiating project or some like we're just doing some research and win probability or expected points is the is, is an outcome that we're we're considering um it is helpful to compare to other results and see oh well like our win probability model says it's 20 percent, but that just makes sure that especially like towards the end of games where it's difficult to have a really good win probability model um it, it's nice to have sort of public sources to, to check against to see, okay, this is totally crazy. This is reasonable, um, whatever. So I'd say that's probably the, my main use case for those. Um, the, the, the one package I do use, and I think I've, I've published some work um, a lot is NFL Cedar. Um, that, yeah. that is super helpful. Um, I, I think myself tried to code all of that um, and uh, I did it in a very gross way. I think with like a for loop, and it took very long to compile. So, so having that, um, and it, it runs super fast, that, that's probably one of the, the, the things that I appreciate the most. And, and also some things like, I think uh, somewhere in NFL Reader, there's a way to, to merge um, player ID to pro football reference IDs. That, that also is helpful because there's sometimes things on pro football reference that um, are useful that aren't as easily accessible from our own data, strangely enough. Yeah, that that's that's cool that you've been able to get use out of like the different things that that have been offered. And, you know, we're both grateful that that they've been out there, too, for for our development and everything. And, you know, something else that that has kind of helped, uh, you know, us as data analysts, like kind of take the next step in our development is working with tracking data and like, you know, with how big those files are and like how much you can do with them. You know, it's it's been really interesting to see like the the public work that has come out. Uh, you know, relating to to when tracking data is, is available for people to use. Uh, you know, I was curious, do you think like football will have like a holy grail moment, like how baseball had with war, where like someone will find something with tracking data that, you know, really changes the way that we think about like the sport or uh, and if you think that, like how far away do you think that is from happening? Yeah, that's a really good question. I definitely think there are, are, are some findings from the tracking data that we are still yet to find. And I definitely think that considering it, like really it's, it's, I guess it's 
start was was been out since 2017, but it hasn't really gotten to this quality since 2018. And we've only had uh, four big data bowls and, and a lot of the teams have only started to, to get have it for so long. And, and also team team uh, analytics staffing is, is just expanding. I definitely think there's a lot more that we can find. Um, one thing I think Mike Lopez always says is a lot of times when you're solving a problem using tracking data, you are the first person to solve the problem like in that specific way. So considering that, I definitely think that there there's something out there and that there's several key find like I think that and perhaps maybe the, the sort of the, the group of people researching wasn't as big as it is now, but it, like the play by play data had existed for a while before. Um, thoughts on, on fourth down aggressiveness and, and, and sort of other findings sort of came out. Um, I, I believe not for, it took at least like 10, 15 years for that to really materialize. Um, maybe not, I don't know. Um, but the, I definitely think with the tracking data, uh, the, the, like th there's definitely a lot more to, to, to get. Um, yeah. Like I, I think once we're to the point in which we can really, and, and maybe some teams are doing this really predict what each player is going to do based on previous tracking information. I think that's something that would be interesting. Um, I don't know if there's a whole lot of, of public work on that, um, but it, it's hard to say how long, maybe, maybe five years, maybe, maybe 10 years. Um, but I think just with more and more time, more events like the, the big data bowl and, and more sort of um, sharing of knowledge, I think that definitely there, there's so much you can get out of that the tracking data. And I'm excited to see, see where, where we uh, sort of analytics space go with it. Yeah. I, I love that answer. And, you know, we, we just recorded our, um, our main segment, like our discussion, uh, me and Tage did. And I literally almost gave this, the exact same answer, which is like, when we have, when teams are able to have more years of tracking data, like they can start back testing their models and seeing, you know, which, which model or like, should they adjust their model to like where the good players are showing up near the highest for every draft class. So, you know, I love that answer. Um, you know, staying on the topic of tracking data, like how different do you think working with tracking data is, you know, for you working for the NFL league versus working for team. And also like, do you think the skills that you have right now as someone who works for the NFL can translate to being a productive member for a team? Yeah. So I would, I would say definitely, um, it, it's similar in a lot of ways, but there are a few key differences. Um, so like the, the one thing that, that the NFL league office has that similar to all the teams is we're, we're pulling in from the exact same data sources. Our, our data is shaped the same. It's, it's, it's the same stuff that every team has, except for we're, we're just at the league office as opposed to for a team. Um, some of the projects and some of the questions I might answer are, are similar, but, but a little bit different. So for, for example, one thing that I did recently, um, and I think I ended up using PFF data um, and NGS tracking data was, uh, and this is like for, for officiating in order to, to help determine when in a play an offensive holding typically occurs. So for example, we, we know based on the, the penalties that were called, who committed a, an offensive holding. Um, we know, like, so we know which plays have an offensive holding on it, but what we don't know is because of the way that the NGS tracking data is tagged, we don't know holding in frame 10 or holding in frame 13. We, we just know the holding occurred during the play, which obviously has to be between ball snap and one of the end of play events, but we don't know which frame it occurs in. Um, so what we did was, um, using the, uh, PFF, 
data to determine who caught who drew the flag um and, and essentially who was being blocked um we went through and, and and sort of tagged manually when the holding occurred by just looking at timestamps and then we could use the ngs data orientation direction speed and, and determine what like knowing that a holding occurred during the play which frame um did it sort of primarily occur and of course it occurs in a multitude of frames and we tagged it that way but we were just sort of curious, like what, what frames were they're holding, what frames weren't they're holding. Um, so that, that is sort of a question that maybe a team would answer. Perhaps maybe they're trying to figure out, okay, if, if um, we have a pass rusher, uh, when would we expect from this specific player a hold to occur or, or something along those lines? Um, we're, we're, we're kind of answering that maybe similar questions, but for different reasons. Our, our reasoning is more, okay, if we're, if we're, if we're analyzing um officials like how like how how when 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 do like when do holds occur within a play um from the official standpoint like how can that help our officials be better prepared for um calling a game so it, it's kind of a similar question and it's modeling using tracking data and pff um, and it's the same data, same source, but it's maybe a little bit of a, a different overall goal. And um, even though maybe we're looking for the same outcome. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing the, the insight on that project. It's cool to see like how all this type of data that is available can actually be used on like an application standpoint where, you know, you're helping like, you know, make make like games like smoother with with assisting with officials and stuff like that. Um, you know, something else that I think like has, has, you know, grown in popularity recently and, and kind of helped with, with applications is like the big data bowl at you guys at the NFL put on. And, you know, I was, I was just wondering like, how do, how does the big data bowl like generate new ideas and metrics that can help you guys or help us as fans? And like, do you guys have anything like big planned for the big data bowl in the future? Yeah. Um, so definitely like a lot of metrics um, that that are used um, on broadcasts are uh, like like and I think Arjun was just mentioning that he had gone to SoFi this year. I think on SoFi they actually are showing some of the metrics that uh, NGS metrics in the stadium. And obviously, one of the, probably the the most utilized metric that we got is um, expected rush yards and, and rush yards over expectation, which came from the 2020 Big Data Bowl, um, and. That's something that uh, like is super helpful for like for it's obviously interesting as a fan to know oh like this player perhaps maybe he didn't like looking at average yards gained is is definitely a misleading stat but if you know oh this player actually really outperformed considering how the blocking and how everything else was set up for him um, so that, that that that's probably one of the the most interesting stats we got and one of the most interesting metrics and it's good for fans and obviously also the code from that can be utilized in a variety of other ways and all the teams have it and have access to it and i think it might actually just be generally public so i, I would i would definitely suggest anyone who has time to look at um, the zoo's uh work on on that metric because it's it's really cool and it can apply to a lot of uh, different football problems um so that that probably is, is one of the, the coolest ones we got out of it. But every year, um, different things come out. And, and obviously, the coverage classification, I think a lot of really cool ways to identify coverages and also measure corner success, uh, DB success came out of that one. And in this last one, there's a lot of analysis on punting, how to punt, 
um, punter skill, which which was which was great. Um, so I think it, from from a it, and I think more than anything in, in the sense that obviously we're, we're literally getting some metrics that that I just described, but the biggest part of it for us almost is that the talent pool that is able to be found by by analytics teams um, because like in the past, perhaps maybe it was it was hard to differentiate how well some like a particular applicant would be with the tracking data and how well do they know football, how insightful would they what, what type of things would they be able to bring to the table? But this is just a really cool space for us to not only gain metrics, but also for um, young professionals hoping to be in the um, NFL analytics space or sports analytics space to show what they can do. Uh, so that that itself will obviously lead to just more metrics, more insights down the line if we get talented people on teams or on vendors such as PFF or um, uh, Sumer Sports or, or other things. As you can say, I think it's really good that you know the the like people who have done well in the big data bowl have like been hired by teams. Like that's like a good testament to to kind of like what it's doing. You know, with Zach Zach Drapkin going to the Eagles or Kyle yeah. going to Lions, Alex Stern uh, going to the yeah. Chargers. Like all those types of people like did well in the big data bowl, put out cool stuff, and like teams noticed that. So I think that's that's really important to have there for sure. Yeah. Uh, absolutely absolutely yeah and and i think uh, mike has like a, a full list of, of everybody i think it were over 30 who are in some sort of sports role that uh, of big data participants uh so that's that's really really great um and yeah and in terms of uh, what we have planned for, for the future i mean we're, we're still sort of figuring out what the topic will be for the the 2022 big data bowl um or yeah, the 2023 big data bowl. I'm sorry, I always get the years mixed up. I, I should I should know this considering I'm one of the organizers, but the 2022 to 2023 big data bowl, this upcoming one in September. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, our hope is, I mean, it, it's it's gonna get, we've touched a lot of topics and um, our hope is to, to try to get something new or maybe some take something that we've done and, and build on it and make it a little bit more challenging. Uh, do, do either of you two have any ideas on, on what you want the, the next topic to, to be? We we're, we're totally open to suggestions right now. I got none. I haven't thought thought about it that much yet. Okay. Uh, okay. I think something that I I really want is um is like the optimal decision making of of quarterbacks. So mm-hmm. you know something I've thought about is like all right, can you at each frame can you give um you know in uh, an expected EPA uh, mm-hmm. for each receiver there and then kind of evaluate like the opportunity cost of like what the quarterback is giving up, how often is the quarterback like making like, you know, close to like their most optimal decision, uh, throwing to the right receiver. But, you know, I think the problem with that is a lot of quarterbacks like have like just one read or two reads on a play. Mm -hmm. So there might be like their fourth read that's like running, you know, open down Mm -hmm. the field. But since like they were coached up to do, you know, to throw their first read on the player, like the play happens quickly it might like, you know, um, punish quarterbacks unfairly for, for that type of stuff. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, no, that, that, that that's really, yeah, that, that'd be a really cool idea. I mean, obviously you'd also have to take into account pass rush and mm-hmm. sort of like a, a probability of um, like, like, or, or time remaining to throw, because if you're going against a, like a, a, a very strong, I think with a very strong pass rush, maybe or in, you, you have less time, like that also would affect it. Like, Okay, if you have a, a a player, maybe if you if you like if you have you know you have infinite time, you should really just wait until you have a perfect throw. 
which obviously that would never exist in, in a real situation. But if you have one second, you might have to settle on something that isn't as optimal. So that'd be a really, really cool project. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely agree. There, there would be some coaching things that would be difficult to discern out. And also uh, with the time thing too, I, more I'm thinking about it, quarterbacks, maybe like Lamar Jackson, who are very speedy and, and it's different between him and maybe a Tom Brady who uh, like as soon as a pass rusher gets near, it's less like Lamar Jackson is it's, it's considerably less likely for Tom Brady to evade a pass rush than, than Lamar Jackson. So that, that's also something else, but no, I really like that idea. Um, that's definitely something we can think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see what it is. Um, you know, I've, I've participated in, in two big data bowls now and mm-hmm. have had like a lot of fun, you know, doing both of them. It's just, it's just fun to like have access to, to the data and, you know, I, I appreciate you guys putting to putting that together and everything, but yeah, Tom, this is, this is a lot of fun. Um, you know, I could get listening to you talk about this stuff all day, but you know, <laughs> I want to be mindful of, of your vacation time here. So, you know, for, for you. everyone listening to this, be sure to check out his Twitter account at data with bliss, along with his website, data with bliss.com. Uh, Tom, if, if there's anything else you want to promote before you head out, feel no, free. I, I think that's it. I don't have a SoundCloud or anything. Uh, but yeah thank you thank you so much this has been a lot of fun talking to you both we are now very excited to be joined by our friend lions all pro punter and someone who the punt runs twitter account has as a top five punter in their punt epa metrics and starting the league mr jack fox jack how's everything been going oh i've been great thanks for having me tej Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, thanks for coming on. We're, we're really excited for this. Um, you know, on the show, we we like to share like the favorite moments of our guests that that come on. Um, for me, you know, as good of a punter as you've been for the Lions so far, your your fake punts that that you've run have been like really special moments. I feel like like, you know, you've thrown a dime against the Falcons, uh, completed the pass against the Rams that in the first quarter that set up the Lions pretty well in that game. Um, you know, when when you get a call like that, you know, like, when, when they tell you you're about to go out and run a fake punt, like what kind of feelings and emotions do you have like going into that play? I'm really excited when we run, we at least when I get the call to run a fake punt. Uh, a lot of our stuff is like, we don't really know if we're running it until we get on the field and like see the look the other team gives us. So it's like kind of a like half, half really excited, but like at the same time, I don't know if we're actually going to run it when we're running on the field. And then when I see what look we get and I know we're running it, then I get pretty pumped. Like, I'm, I still get really nervous for most of my punts. So it's like almost, it's not like I get more nervous when we run a fake. It's just like more excited, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, make, that makes total sense, Jack. And, you know, one of my favorite moments was when you joined um, our, our Michigan Football Analytics Society Club meeting to kind of speak to us then last year. And, I mean, that was so cool having like an NFL player come and sit in on a club meeting and just hearing about your journey um, from college to to the Lions, you know, I'm curious as, as someone who's been on multiple teams and has gone through the process of finding and sticking with a team, do you think NFL teams care more about having a stronger leg that can be coached up? Or do you think they care more about accuracy? Who's better at like downing punts inside the 20? So basically it's like, it was the Matt Ariaza versus Jordan Stout debate you know, for this NFL draft. Yeah. Well, yeah. First of all, the uh, Michigan university, uh, university of Michigan, uh, football analytics club was one of my favorite things I've done so far. Well, probably one of my favorite moments is being an NFL player too. That was freaking awesome. Uh, and then I, I've now I follow all you guys on Twitter and you guys are all great followers. Um, but 
Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think having a strong leg right now is kind of where the league is going. Um, I think, first of all, like you can't really teach a strong leg. So if you get somebody that doesn't have quite a strong leg in college, like, first of all, it's going to really show up. If you know they didn't have a strong leg in college, like it's going to really show up in the NFL. And also now that it's like so many teams are going for it inside the 50 yard line, like the plus 20 punts, like the, the end over end, like drop inside the five, like it's all really good and it still really matters. But it like just teams are moving away from that. Like you just don't see it quite as often as easy used to. And I think that the longer punts probably have a little bit more value. Also, it's something I think you guys are like a little bit off on is that like Jordan Stout has a great leg. Like Jordan, I think Jordan Stout might have the best leg in that draft class. And I think that like so many people that like didn't know a ton about hunting, uh, just assume that Matt Arezzo was like the big strong leg guy and Jordan Stout was like the direction, like drop inside the five guy. But I think he has a really good shot to be like really, really good in the NFL. And I'm, I think that's why they drafted him so high. Mm-hmm. yeah no, that that makes sense and yeah it was it was cool to see like you know these punters getting drafted in the fourth round that's not something you you typically see happen but you know it's it's good that like they were they were teams that we consider sharp that are doing this too it's not just like random teams uh like when the bucks traded up for for the kicker in the second round a couple of years ago um but yeah no it seems like it so it seems like you keep tabs on you know kind of like some of the other punters in the league and stuff like during the season do you feel the urge to like check your stats and see how you're stacking up to other punters or is that like something you do more at the end of the season and because you don't want to like cloud your your mind um um while the season is happening yeah i think we all kind of check our stats throughout the season (laughs) um it's just like it's it's putting such a stat based thing like you can tell if you had a good game or a bad game based on your stats like even the coaches will bring it up like our special teams talks about coach talks about it every special teams meeting in the season, like where we stack up against other teams, uh, like for net punt, just for like everything for uh, like kickoff net, like everything. So um, it, first of all, I think it's too hard not to look at stats in the middle of the season and I enjoy doing it. I think we're all really competitive. So it kind of drives us to like do well during the season. Uh, when you, when you answer Tage's first question, you know, you're talking about how, you know, when you get a certain look, that's how, you know, um, you know, you're going to run the fake and things like that. Um, how much, like how much film does a punter have to watch on, like on opposing teams and like, what specifically are you looking for when you're watching like film fake, like film breakdowns? Yeah. I don't think we have to watch that much film. Like obviously we're punters. So we have to watch the least amount on the team, but even saying that, like we don't have to watch that much. I think it kind of depends what scheme you're in. Also, like a lot of teams punt to the direction where there's only one jammer on your gunner opposed to two. So if, say a team puts seven men in the box with one returner, they'll have two guys on one gunner and one on the other gunner. A lot of teams punt towards that one gunner side and they make the call on the field based on who has the, the one jammer on the one gunner opposed to two. And some teams will like try to disguise that. So they'll like kind of run a jammer out there late or on the two man side, like bring the one jammer in and put another guy on the other side. So I think watching film is valuable to see like what the team's tendencies are on like where they put their jammers opposed to your gunners and then kind of like returner, like what their returner does. Some guys are way more aggressive than others. So it's kind of nice to know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, something we talked about, you know, before, before we started recording here was uh, the big data bowl this past year and how it was all special teams related. 
And a couple of the projects, uh, including like what I, I kind of looked at was like the optimal decision making for the punt returner. And so like when you're when you're lining up to to punt and everything, do you kind of have like a feel of what you think the punt returner is about to do? And like, do you communicate that with the gunners or does that like is that something that, you know, the special teams coach talks about or something like that? Yeah, there's definitely some guys we talk about more than others. Like we were just talking about Jakeem Grant on the mm-hmm. Bears last year. I don't, I don't know where he is right now. I think he went somewhere else. Um, but he's like the ultimate like aggressive returner. And that plays in his favor a lot. He had a, a return touchdown from like his own five yard line last year. He returned one on us from like the 10 yard line, like 30 yards. So like guys like that, like as a unit, we have to know like they're not going to call a fair catch, like play through the whistle, like, like just make sure that you get him down or that he is doing what you think he's going to do. Some guys, some other guys will fair catch a lot more often. Some teams just uh, like have different tendencies. Like in the past, the Packers have been like a bigger fair catch team. I think because their offense is so good, they're not going to be quite as aggressive on partner turn. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's like all useful stuff to know. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that you mentioned Jakeem Grant specifically because when I was working on my big datable project this past year, uh, I was doing the optimal decision making for punt returners, and you know I was kind of seeing whether they should return it, uh, fair catch it, or let it drop. And Jakeem Grant showed up as the number one decision maker in that metric because he was returning it very often. Um, and so, you know, as, as I didn't have really many priors on, you know, what punt returners do and which punt returners are good at making good decisions. So I kind of just went with it at the time. But since you've singled out Jakeem Grant specifically, I'm, I'm glad that it kind of confirms what, you know, the data found there and is that, you know, he's returning it more often than than uh, the other punt returners. And like that seems to be the right decision in that aspect. Yeah, just kind of going off on that a little more. We uh, the first time we played the Bears this year, we played outside. It was like kind of windy. I think I had three punts. They were all like kind of average, not great. But the returner let them all hit the ground, and that was before Jakeem Grant got there. So I hit like probably three forty-two yard punts. I hit the ground, rolled forward to fifty, mm-hmm. something like that. So my game looked good because they didn't catch the ball, and it really hurt them. The next week they signed Jakeem Grant or traded for him from the Dolphins, I think. And the next game they play the Raiders and Jakeem Grant catches everything. He caught like a punt and he caught a punt in the end zone. He caught like two inside the 10. Like they obviously told him, we want you to catch everything and just return everything. And <laughs> I think he's already like that. So it was a good fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That's yeah. That's, that's funny that, that he, uh, he did stuff like that. Um, but yeah, what do you think about like when, when a team will send like their, they're like, one of their starting receivers back to return punts. Like the Rams are using Cooper cup to return punts. I thought it was like too risky to do something like that. Like, I don't, I don't know if you'd want to use like your star receiver back there, but is that, is that something that you think like is, is like effective for teams to do? I think it kind of depends. Like if they have any experience doing it, it might be like, if you put Tyree kill back there, like it would make a difference. So like the punter would know and it would probably make the punt not as good also, but I don't think it's a good idea most of the time. Like our first year we played, the, or my first year we played the uh, Saints. And I forgot what the returner's name is, number 11. He's like so good, like one of the best in the league. And he got injured before like the last punt of the game. And they put uh, Alvin Kamara back there. And like he's so dangerous in space, obviously. But he kind of caught the ball and he didn't like really know like, where he was going. And it's just like you don't have that much time to think about it. And if you're not like used to the situation, 
like you're kind of screwed. So we got him down like right away. He's like a little bit too hesitant. So I think if you have a really good guy that like has experience, it's probably good. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, Jack. Um, on a on a scale of one to ten, how comfortable would you be if the starting kicker got hurt pregame and Dan Campbell came up to you and asked you to kick field goals and extra points for the entire game? And I'm gonna make it more spicy. This is the conference championship game. So heading into the Super Bowl at home. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I would be a one on I don't I don't I forgot the scale was. I'd be really nervous. I would I would not be very confident in my kicking ability. I think I could maybe hit an I don't see I don't even think we'd kick extra points. I think this would be like the like football analytic nerds like dream game because we wouldn't kick any field goals. We wouldn't kick extra points. Cuz now that they move the extra point back, it's probably just like easier to go for it from the 2-yard line than have some like shitty kicker kick from the 32 or whatever. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Um, I think, so there was a Lions Jets game, I think like uh, before they moved the extra point back. So it was like 2012, 2013 and our kicker got injured in that game. And I Dominican Sue had to come on and like be like the emergency kicker. And he kicked him. I remember that. And, yeah. And it went off the upright. Do you remember that? Yeah. He actually smoked it too. Like it, yeah. the ball got up really fast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. Maybe if the extra point was at the 10-yard line, I would be more comfortable. But, no, I would be like a nervous wreck on the sideline doing field goals. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, that, that'd, be, that'd be tough to do. When you do like – I mean, uh, sorry for cutting you off. My, my senior oh, year at college, I was a 40% field goal kicker. <laughs> so, like – and we were playing at Rice where nobody even paid attention to the games. So like, there was really no pressure on the field goal kicker. Imagine kicking in the NFL as a former 40% field goal kicker. <laughs> it would just be bad. It would be embarrassing. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. At Rice, did you have to do like kickoffs, field goals and punting like all, all of them? Yeah. Yeah. And and now you you do holding the kickoffs and, and punting and everything. Yeah. 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 I um, yeah, this, this has been a lot of fun. Um, you know, the last question that, that I have is, you know, with, with how aggressive Dan Campbell's been on, on fourth downs and like kind of the league shift to going for it more on fourth downs. Are you worried that there'll ever be a point where like, he's like, all right, like we don't need a punt. Like, like we're just, we're just going to go for every fourth down and you'll just like stand on the sidelines the entire game. Maybe. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I am like a little bit, I don't know about scared, but I'm kind of interested to see where like punting goes in the next 10, 20 years. Like obviously teams are punting less now than they ever have. So I think there are, there are, there's always going to be a spot for it for a, a punter, but who knows? Maybe the punter is just going to be the backup quarterback one day. Every team will find a guy that can play quarterback in, play backup quarterback and uh, can punt. So <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for coming on. This is, this is a ton of fun to, to talk to you and, and hear more about the special teams aspect. Um, for, for everyone listening, be sure to, to follow Jack uh, at Mr. Jack Fox on Twitter. Uh, Jack, anything else you want to promote before before you go? No, I, I just appreciate you guys having me. I love following both you guys on Twitter. Uh, all your analytics stuff's awesome. And yeah, I just appreciate you having me. We really appreciate our guests for taking all that time to talk to us today. Learned a lot talking to, to each of them. So be sure to, to follow them on Twitter. Uh, we will now jump into our bat and unhinged tweet of the week. 
So it's my turn to do the bet this week. Uh, so, so Arjun, the, the bet that I have for us is Justin Jefferson at 25 to one on DraftKings to win offensive player of the year. And so, you know, when I was when I was looking through through some different bets that they have available on on DraftKings, you know, I I was I came across this one and I expected Justin Jefferson to be uh either at the top or or near the top. And he is, you know, like the the 13th highest odds on this list behind quarterbacks, some quarterbacks who quarterbacks don't win offensive player of the year, right? Like MVP is reserved for the best quarterback. And then offensive player of the year is reserved for the best non-quarterback, I've always thought. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow are ahead of Justin Jefferson, and they they won't win the award. Um, but then, you know, you have you have other types of players that I think Jefferson is going to have a better season than. Like Jonathan Taylor, as good of a running back as he is, is probably going to experience regression this year. And, you know, if, if you weren't going to win offensive player of the year last year when you were easily the best running back in the league, you're probably not going to win it this year. Derrick Henry is banged up, you know, hitting his thresholds for, you know, when we usually see running backs start to regress, but he's ahead of Justin Jefferson. Debo Samuel, you know, they they don't know who their quarterback is yet there. He might not have a connection with Lance if he starts. He Again, he peaked last season, I think. Like, that was his 99th percentile outcome, but he's higher than Jefferson. Devontae Adams, uh, also higher than Jefferson. And, you know, he he, again, like, that was his peak these last two years with MVP Rodgers. Carr is a good quarterback, but you're not going to get that type of quarterback play. So, you know, when you when you kind of think about all of those together, it, it can it comes down to like Jefferson or, you know, Cooper Cup or Dalvin Cook or players like that, Jamar Chase. And the reason why I like Jefferson is because he's getting an offensive minded head coach who ran a scheme that, you know, really got the the wide receiver one on linebackers last year and Timo Riske at, at PFF just tweeted out something that said Cooper cup was matched up against linebackers more than anyone in the league last season. And so you're hoping Kevin O'Connell can do the same thing. The Vikings should be able to make the playoffs in kind of a weak NFC and like Jefferson's a top three wide receiver right now. So if he goes out and a hat leads the league in either receptions yards or touchdown, I could see him winning this award. Um, yeah. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I love this bet. Um, if I was to place an offensive player of the year, it would be on Justin Jefferson or uh, maybe like CD Lamb, just mm -hmm. because like I think both are going to experience like high volume in um, in their situations right now. You know, one of our analysts at PFF, Sam Monson, wrote a really cool piece on like whether Justin Jefferson is the best receiver in the league or not. I do. I remember you texted me like in like week four of the season, like. Justin Jefferson might be the like a top three receiver already. And I was like, it may be too early to say that. Like, I thought he was top 10 last year. But then, like, you start, I, I watched him just carve up the Chargers like every play. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this guy's a baller. And, you know, he was a baller in his rookie year, but this year kind of confirmed that he's, you know, easily a top three receiver, like you said, could be the best after this year. And I, I like how you brought up the Kevin O'Connell point. I think a lot of, a lot of uh, people are trying to force, are trying to force the idea that Jefferson is going to be Cooper Cup, but they're not like as similar as receivers as people would like to think. Like obviously they're very good receivers, but you know Justin Jefferson and and Cooper Cup are two completely different receivers. So you know you shouldn't expect Jefferson to get Cooper Cup's production. It, it might just come in other ways, right? Because Cooper Cup he he has a tendency of of uh, lining up like in the slot and also in line in the slot. If that makes sense, like I don't know the exact formation name, but it's like the Rams do this thing where 
they'll motion him in like to line up next to the tight end or the tackle. And then he, he acts as like a pulling blocker when they run like a, a counter, or, like a, a wide zone, the opposite way. And like, I'm not sure. I think Jefferson's a little too skinny to, to kind of handle that. So I think the way O'Connell uses Jefferson will be a little bit different, but I definitely think the volume is there. And a guy like Adam Thielen, who's pretty much the only other receiving option on that team is, you know, kind of hitting that, that age where he we're expecting him not to be as good as he was earlier in his career. So really, really like this bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned, like a lot of people are saying like to put Jefferson in the Cooper cup role and like, you know, Cooper cup was in a pretty similar role, you know, when he's been, been with the Rams lately, it's just like the Rams kind of got a, a quarterback that was able to open up the entire field. Um, you know, something that you've been working on at, at PFF was like, you know, what percent of plays are, the, is the coverage intact for and what percent of plays is the coverage broken for. And so the Rams experienced a 9% drop in plays that were like coverage intact this past season. And like nothing really changed with their scheme, you know, or, or like with like the surrounding cast, like you still had McVay calling the plays. You still had pretty much the same supporting cast. It was, you know, kind of getting a, a quarterback that could, that could do that type of stuff. So I think it, it'll be beneficial for Jefferson's not getting a different quarterback but he's going to get a play caller who, you know, is, is just an offensive minded has roots in a system that is shown to work all over the league, uh, no matter where kind of like the disciples have gone from it. So he's getting that extra boost where, you know, he's already putting up crazy production for being, you know, a 23 year old second year in the league, but now you're getting, you know, where he'll, he'll be used on motions a lot more. He's a better outside receiver than cup. So he doesn't have to have to be used in the slot. Like he can be used all over the field. And I, I think it's really exciting to, to kind of see, you know, how, how he'll do. But the thing I'm worried about is everyone seems really high on Justin Jefferson this year. Yeah. Like, like there's no one that's necessarily saying to like fade him or anything. So if his odds are still 25 to one, even though I'm sure like a lot of people have bet him to win offense play of the year, I, I, that worries me a little bit that they're not like adjusting their odds because of that. Yeah, I know you and me have like a fade the public mantra where, you know, that's that's kind of been our, our MO in betting sometimes. Um, but yeah, again, love that bet. Um, it's my turn for the unhinged tweet of the week. This one comes from at not so angry scout. Um, I think you know who that is and you might know the, what, what tweet I'm referencing. Um, but basically, he's he's allegedly a scout in an AFC South team. And there's a certain team that I think we both know he works for. I'll let everyone else figure it out. But this, is, this was his tweet. I'm going to read it exactly. Until an algorithm exists, I can 100%, 100% quantify the heart, determination, effort that a player will bring to the next level. There is any algorithm worth using to help determine what players to pick. There isn't a, there isn't a chart or stat in analytics that actually matters until then either. So basically, this, this scout in the NFL is saying until analytics can 100% correctly predict how a player is going to transition or perform using his heart, determination, and effort. Three things that, you know, even scouts can't quantify that well or, you know, evaluate that well. We shouldn't use analytics because the charts and stats won't matter. Mm -hmm. I thought that was complete BS. You know, he kind of got fried on Twitter. But, I mean, what what algorithm, what coach, what scout has been 100% right? None. So what makes analytics any different than the scouts that are grinding the film day in and day out? I just, I just don't get it. Yeah. I think, I think it's hilarious that it's coming from 
uh, or well, we think it's coming from, you know, the, the organization that took Isaiah Wilson in the first round, only for him to play like what, three special team snaps with yeah. the team, you know, his entire time there. So it's, it's really funny that, you know, someone like that could, that, you know, might be working for, for that team could, could mention something like that. And like, that's not like, I think, you know, the, the term analytics just gets thrown around as a buzzword so often when there's, there's not much of an understanding of what it is, you know, anytime you take take notes or take information down and, you know, kind of like organize it in a way that could help you like that, that could be considered analytics. So like a lot of people are doing like so-called analytics, but you know, like the, the true, like data science stuff, like that's, that only can help you. Like if, if someone were to put together a model that, you know, ranks players like coming out of the, the draft or whatever, it only can add to the, the, to the already, you know, um, already big pool of information that you have on the players, but it can't detract from, you know, like what you already know about these players. Like, you know, when, when you go and, and meet them in person or watch their practices live or all that stuff, like, you know, that, that's like, that's just taking in as much information as possible. So I don't know why a team would be, you know, against taking in information that could help them in the draft and free agency game planning, et cetera. Yeah. It's, it's, it was a, that was a day on Twitter for sure. And, you know, obviously this, this whole idea or this tweet was kind of um, created by John Robinson's press or conference, or I think it was a podcast, actually like the GM podcast where he said like analytics should only be 10 per, or like we, we use like film and other stuff like 90% of the time. And like analytics is only 10% of the equation. And, you know, obviously as analytics people, we'd like to see that ratio be improved a little bit. You know, obviously, some I don't. I'm not sure. Fifty-fifty is the optimal ratio, just because you know analytics is still kind of new to football, and and especially with tracking data, like you don't really have a lot of um, years to back test some of your models, right? Like you, if you want to see like how your model performed in in previous years, like tracking data only came to the NFL in what like 2017. Right? Yeah, 20. So the thing about so 2018 is is like kind of the first year where it's like it's like you know you can have it all together and it's like clean and everything but you know when you work with tracking data from 2018 2019 you're going to get a lot different results and if you work with it from 2020 and 2021 each year it's gotten better and more accurate and like that's why you have to have things in your models that account for what year the tracking data is coming yeah. from and what stadium it's being recorded in because there were some stadiums that just weren't accurately recording players like, you know, at the, at the beginning of 2018, 2019, but, you know, are, are doing a lot better now, but yeah, I know. I definitely, I definitely feel with you, what you're saying there. Yeah. And that that's ultimately just going to be the the thing with tracking data. As soon as, as more years goes by and as more data comes in, I think everything's just going to be more accurate and mm -hmm. it's only going to help teams that, that embrace it, like the Ravens and the Eagles who continuously make smart decisions in the draft and free agency. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I, I agree. And, you know, I, the, the John Robinson thing was like interesting because like, I mean, it's pretty obvious that the Titans don't use analytics, which is fine because, you know, they've, they've done a pretty good job building their, their team um, these past couple of years, but, you know, it's, it's just like kind of a thing where we try to have, you know, a lot of respect for people that really grind the film and are very knowledgeable in that field. You know, our, our Steven Ruiz's, our Seth Galina's, Deontay Lee's, and, you know, I'm always trying to listen to their content or read their pieces because I learn a lot from what they say. And, you know, I, I, I just like, I, you know, I, I kind of just like was, was hoping that John Robinson or other GMs in the league would have more respect for kind of what we do 
because you know we put a lot of a lot of time and effort into it as well um but he kind of just seems to to disregard it in that aspect so you know it's, it's just kind of like a push and pull there yeah i agree so um i think that's going to wrap it up you know this was a really fun discussion on on tracking data and and you know kind of our unhinged tweet and better the week kind of tied into that uh really want to thank our guests for coming on as well and you know, trying to trying to schedule all of these interviews while I was in London was a little bit of a pain. But I, I want to thank you, Tej, for for helping to like facilitate all of that because you know, obviously, I I enjoy talking football with you on a on a weekly basis. So um, that's going to be all for today's episode. Until next time, I'll take the